Hey buddy, just give you a heads up. I got a Taco Deluxe Supreme talking back at me, so I'ma be a while. Do you mind waiting somewhere else and let me pass this beast in peace? A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's time, so you mean, mean pride. It's your old buddy Robert Barry, and welcome to Retro Crush, the podcast episode 125. It's a milestone episode. We have a milestone guest for you here today. Yes, an uncut, raw, super scary, super cool interview with Rob Zombie. Yes, Rob Zombie. That Rob Zombie, not the Rob Zombie that delivers your milk. Or the Rob Zombie that, you know, sells your mom that nipple rouge she likes so much. I'm talking about THE Rob Zombie. Yes, I got to talk to him Friday, opening day of his new movie, the new number one movie in the world, Rob Zombie's Halloween. It's a remake of the John Carpenter classic from 1978. And I'll tell you, it didn't disappoint me one bit. I like the original movie, and I think this adds a lot to the Halloween mythos that was that was kind of a, a, a lacking in the in the overall story. We didn't know a lot about what made Michael Myers tick, and I think it's just surprising to find out uh, what really does. Uh, unlike the uh, Hannibal Lecter prequel, Hannibal Rising, I think Halloween is a really neat way to look back at what. Peel, you know, peel away the layers a little bit of this Michael Myers character and find out what makes him tick. And uh, it's it's kind of scary to see uh, what what you really find there. But uh, I think this is a really good movie. I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of America certainly agrees because it was a uh, number one at least through Saturday by a good sixteen million ahead of the 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 the, the most whatever they call that second place competition. Sorry, I had a couple of glasses already. This Charles Shaw. Merlot, it's cheap, but it'll get to you. But anyway, I had a nice conversation with uh, Mr. Zombie, 
and uh, we talked about Halloween, and we talked. It was kind of a cool uh, interview in that uh, we we had the interview at seven o'clock in the morning on Friday, West Coast time. For those of you keeping track, and uh, you know the first showing of this movie was yet to come. Uh, at least on the West Coast here, so uh, it's kind of neat to talk to him about uh, what, what it's like to to be there on the morning of of a movie like this, and, and wonder what the weekend holds in store for you. So, you know, without further ado, let's get let's get on with this. It's about a twenty two minute interview, and uh, we'll we'll come back and follow it up with some more Retro Crush podcast stuff. So, uh, without further ado, here is Rob Zombie talking with me about Halloween. So what's it like to wake up on the opening day of your new movie? Uh, well, it's weird because it's still not playing yet. You know, so you want somebody to see the movie. Although I think they had midnight screenings last night, so I'm starting to get some feedback, so it's all good, so I'm happy. You know, you live with this thing for so long and you go crazy with it and you just die for someone else to see it, and now finally the, the word is coming back and people are really loving it, so it's a nice moment. Yeah, I saw a screening in Sacramento last night that was... Uh partial press screening, but it was also like a radio station giveaway to the general public, and it was a pretty good response. People were cheering during the, the killing and uh, <laughs> walking out <laughs> clapping, so I was, I was uh, you know, it definitely got got the right reaction, I, I guess. There. Yeah, it's kind of a weird movie, too, because it's not quite as, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think it's, it's funny, because I've seen it with an audience a couple times, and I think they think they're supposed to cheer at the killing parts, and then I can, I felt this with Devil's Rejects, too, when I was watching it then people kind of, like, kind of stop because it's not that type of movie, you know. It's right, not like, right. It's not Planet Terror. You know, it's not Grindhouse where it's set up that you're supposed to kind of laugh at the gore and scream. And I think people start off with that feeling and you feel it kind of leave the room. <laughs> yeah, I think with this movie, even compared to a lot the other Halloween films, is it really makes Michael a, a very scary monster. I mean, he's, just, he's very fearsome in this as far as... Uh, you know, just there's just no. Uh, you don't know what to expect from this guy. He's just going to kill everybody he sees, no matter how close they were to him. You know. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to turn. You know, I thought by spending time with him as a kid, you feel like you kind of get inside his head a little bit, so that there is some sense of character to him. He's not just a monster, monster. But to me, uh, he's also he's a tr- he's a true psychopath. He doesn't care. That's why, like the, the Danny Trejo character, for instance, clearly everybody thinks that character's going to live. It's Michael's one friend, and he doesn't care. In fact, it seems like he tortures that guy more than anybody. Yeah, he seems to get it worse than any of the yeah, others. There, because sure. Michael has no, you know, Doctor Loomis is telling everybody he has no sense of right and wrong, no fear, no no, no remorse, no nothing. So don't be fooled by him. And obviously, people are fooled by him. I think that was one of the the fears. I, I think I was reading a lot from the diehard fans. Is you know you can't explain Michael Myers. He's just pure evil, and I don't I don't think they're going to be disappointed when they see this. There's not like some oh that's why it all happened because you pretty much realize that that kid's fucked from day one. Yeah, no, of I mean his I life, you know that was the thing I was always trying to get across to people that we see his life, so you get a sense some sense of who he might be. But you also realize it's not that he has a bad childhood that makes him bad. He could have the greatest childhood in the world. He's still fucking crazy from the get-go. You know, that's that's the thing that I found out, you know, researching children that are psych- you know, psychopaths. They're just crazy. It doesn't matter if they're from good families or bad families. They're just born crazy. Yeah. And that's yeah. Michael Myers. But at the same time, sometimes they can be manipulative and seductive and smart and funny and charming, but they're still fucking crazy. Right, right. That was the thing that I found more terrifying, that someone could seduce you into thinking that they're your friend 
and then as soon as you turn your back, you're dead. Yeah. Now, was the inclusion of the original Thing footage sort of a jab at people that are against remaking classic horror movies? Uh, no, nothing was really... No, you mean the, the Carpenter score, the, the inclusion of that? No, 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 um, th- when they're watching the original Thing movie. Oh, the original Thing footage. Oh, I thought you said the original theme footage. Oh, um, no, 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 that was... Oh, no, um, no, yeah, no, I wish just thought that... that never, well, that, that, you know, the Thing, the movies are on TV and the original are the Thing and Forbidden Planet, so I thought those are the things that I wanted to harken back to that I thought were cool, uh-huh. you know, that, that I thought for the fans, I thought, you know, little moments would be cool to have, and that would be one of them. Oh, you know, that's the cool. same things on TV. And I also, you know, there's the moment where young Michael's watching the thing, and then 17 years later when he's standing over Lindsay Wallace, she's watching the thing at the exact same moment where he stopped watching it 17 years ago. Right. And that's why he doesn't kill her. He kind of zones out on the TV because he was, very excited to see how that movie was going to end. <laughs> so how did you go about getting Mickey Dolenz to play the gun shop owner? That was a weird one. Um, it was really funny because I was trying to find a lot of different people for that part, you know, because it was, it was a really w- wide open part. Could could have been just about anybody. And I was, I was at home and I was watching Head, you know, the Monkees movie. Sure. And I got this call from the casting agent. She goes, just out of the blue, like, what do you think about Mickey Dolenz? I go, fucking genius, let's do it. <laughs> it's just a really weird one. Is, is it great to just be able to, to have a blank script and start hunting down the cast for your parts, especially with so many fun cameos that you have in your films? That's one of the best things. That's actually one of the funnest parts is when the movie's done. I mean, I think that's sometimes why I tend to even create more characters than I need, because you just want to, like, there's been times, like even in Devil's Rejects, the character that Michael Berryman plays uh-huh. didn't, didn't exist. And then I was like, I don't know, I was, saw something and he was on. I was like, shit, I should have got him in the movie. He'd be great. And then I just kind of made up this character and put him in there. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome, you know, because I think a lot of these people, they're, they're really, really good actors and they all have a really great presence. So when they pop up like a Dee Wallace or a Mickey Dolan, even if it's short, it's always, you know, it's always really attention grabbing. Right. Yeah, especially it got, you sure lucked out with that Michael Berryman scene because that, that bit with the chickens was just hilarious there. Oh, yeah. He, that's the funny thing, too. With a guy like that, it's like he always plays the scary guy, but he's really funny. He's got really funny comic timing. So I usually like taking those guys, too, and casting them against the, the typical type that they always play. Right, right. Now, in my opinion, the direction of your films just seems to get exponentially better with each new movie that you've made. I, I thought in this movie, particularly the bathroom stall scene with Ken Forey and the one where Loomis is giving his talk about Myers is really great, especially that because it looked like he really was giving a presentation in front of the movie theater the way it was yeah. cut there. It's kind of, kind of interesting. But, I mean, do you have just some phenomenal learning curve or have you been continuing your education as a director in between movies? Well, I mean, I have a pretty... A pretty good learning curve. You know, I learn quick and I absorb things fast. I always have. So that, you know, that was the thing with House of the Thousand Corpses. That's just, the making of that movie was complete chaos. Uh-huh. Because, you know, you, you can think you know what's going to happen on a movie set or feel that you understand it, but until you get there and just the chaos that can ensue and how fast the, the clock seems to move, starts moving at hyperspeed suddenly and the time just goes by and, oh my God, the sun's going down already, you know. And then uh-huh. with Devil's Rejects, I sort of got a grasp of how that's all going to work, and I go, okay, I can figure out now how to put together a complete vision of a film. And then with Halloween, you start really, now that you've got that skill down, then you can start trying to fine-tune things. 
And I mean, that's the thing, you know, and, and that's why I'm always looking for as soon as you're done, you're like excited about the next film because you immediately turn around and take whatever you've then learned on this film to apply it to the next film because there's always something new, there's always something different. You know, and the scenes in, in Halloween, like just the quiet scenes in the sanitarium between Dr. Loomis and Michael and his mom and Michael, that was very different for me. There's nothing like that in any of the other films. And just mm-hmm. exploring, like working with actors in really quiet, subtle scenarios, that was kind of new. Yeah. That sanitarium set was pretty cool. Where, where did you shoot that at? Um, we shot that at a, a VA hospital in North Hills, California, so that was all a real place. Yeah, it was a really, really cool place. Basically, everything we shot in was real. Almost all the locations were, you know, were real locations. So even like the street scenes with the leaves blowing around and the chases and all that, that it's a real neighborhood there? Yeah, uh, well, actually, all the, the all the leaves were fake, but all the, all the streets were real. <laughs> that We always shot all that stuff in South Pasadena. A lot of them, the same exact streets that John Carpenter shot on. Oh, wow, that's Yeah, great. they're the same trees. They're just a little bit bigger now. Just like Michael Myers, huh? Yeah, over 30 <laughs> he's years. He's huge in this movie. That's what just struck me as like, my God, he's a monster in this movie. What it's are they feeding him in that sanitarium? <laughs> exactly. Oh, like I especially love how you see the scenes of him just refusing to eat, and then it's 15 years later, and he's just this just, just <laughs> tank, you know? Apparently he got over his fear of uh, hospital food. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Sherry w- was just very good in this movie as Michael's mother. I mean, y- she was good in Devil's Rejects, but I, as I was walking out of the, the screening last night, I mean, that was one of the, 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 the first things people were saying was how fantastic she was in that performance. Uh, wh- where did you find her? Well, obviously, we met like 14 years ago. You know, we've been together <laughs> forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, I just always, you know, you just have a sense with people. And, you know, she'd been in a lot of music videos, and I knew that real quick that she was real photogenic and really knew how things were happening and even with it's sort of the same almost the same question applies to what you asked me is you know devil's read i mean the house of thousand corpses was new for her so you're getting your uh-huh. figure out like how to act what to do and and then reject she kind of dialed in that character but it was the same character so it couldn't really show what she could do and that's why in this movie i was very excited to cast her in that role because it's so subtle it's not like this big loud crazy role and you know, she really gets to do some quiet, serious acting that I think, you know, everybody's been pretty blown away by because the character of Baby doesn't hint that, you know, people just think that that's her personality. Right, when they right. meet her, they go, wow, that's such a character, too. I didn't realize, you know, that she's so different from that character. So, you know, it's great. I'm, I'm glad that finally people like can give her uh, the credit she deserves for what she's been doing. Yeah, for sure. It was great there. Well, um... Why Why do you think revealing a bit more of Michael's backstory works well in this movie, but with something like the Hannibal Lecter prequel, it mostly disappointed people? Well, I didn't see that prequel, so I don't know why that was disappointing. But um, I think, it, I mean, I guess it all depends how you do it. Or I guess maybe just peeling away the layers of what makes a character what they are, you know, where, where you, I guess you kind of already talked about well, that. Well, I, I guess, bit. you know, for one thing, you know, Hannibal Lecter was always Anthony Hopkins, and he was very charismatic and very personal, and you sort of felt like you knew him to a point. You That's know, true. You yeah. knew as much He's about him as you there. probably needed to know before you demystify him, whereas Michael Myers was 100% a mystery. Mm-hmm. So just, peel, you know, maybe, I guess you can peel back the layers, it's just like you peel back too many layers, and, you know, yeah. you see there's nothing left. But, you know, the thing with Michael Myers, too, is, like, after so many sequels where, you know, by the end of the movies, by the time they get to the eighth film, it just seemed like they were just, stick anybody, any stuntman in that mask and let him do this. Like, it seemed like they weren't really carefully paying attention to that character at all anymore. So to make people see it differently, and even, like, when, you know, you know everybody has a Michael Myers mask and goes from for Halloween, and it just seemed like that character just become so commonplace that 
the only way to make him interesting again, I thought, was to give him some sort. You get had to de- demystify him a little bit, but at, at the same time, it doesn't demystify him; it just makes him even a deeper mystery. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's just it. I mean, just when you think it's going to be all exposed, I mean, it, more, even Loomis more or less throws his hands up. And, yeah, he's just evil to the core. There's not much else to say about. Yeah, it. no, I mean, it pretty much. I, I started with all the, you know, the, the sort of diagnosis of Michael Myers from the original and worked backwards. Well, here's what you know, the original Doctor Loomis said and let's work realistically from what he was saying. And that's basically what I did. You know, I didn't want to make it seem like, oh, he's a good kid, and this one horrible thing happened, and he turned bad. Because nothing, there's no incident that would make somebody that crazy, that evil. They would no, just have to no. be that way from the get-go. Well, what was one of your most memorable moments directing this movie? Um... Well, some of some of some of the most memorable in a weird sort of way was when we were just on the streets of South Pasadena with you know Tyler running around as Michael Myers was the most surreal moment because you know I like everybody else was a huge fan of the original Halloween when it came out loved John Carpenter and to be there directing this movie it just seems surreal <laughs> you know it's very like pinching yourself while you're doing it sometimes yeah it's very I mean and most of the time you're just working so fast and furious you don't have time to even think about stuff like that. Sometimes you can reflect on it later, but there were certain moments where we're just like, wow, this is so weird. <laughs> and then you get back to work. Now, did you talk to John Carpenter at all while you were putting this film together? Or? I talked to him a little bit. You know, I talked to him right before uh-huh. I started, you know, before it was announced. I wanted him to be the first person who knew. And, you know, he was very cool. He's always been very cool to me over the years. And, um, uh-huh. you know, he was just kind of like, hey, that's great. You know, go for it, dude. Make it your own movie. That's all I can tell you. Make it your movie. Don't worry about my movie. That was his advice. <laughs> you know, because yeah, he, he, what else can you say? Go on. I'm sorry. No, I mean, because then I talked. To, I talked to him after I finished the movie, and I was asking him about the thing, because you know he'd kind of been in the same boat. You know, mm-hmm. you know, directing a remake of the thing, and I know he worships Howard Hawks and that the whole situation. And I was like, well, what was that like for you? And he goes, well, unfortunately, you know, it was totally different because nobody could really remember the thing. Back then, you know, it was pre-VCRs and people's film knowledge. Right, you have almost a 30-year gap there. Yeah. yeah, and people are more intense now with their knowledge of things because everyone owns a DVD and they've watched it a million times, so they dissect every little thing. But back then, it'd be like, yeah, I think I saw that on TV once, maybe. So he said people didn't really even care. You know, it wasn't even an issue. It's funny you say that now that I think about it because you think of still Halloween being so new, but it's it's almost the same time distance between... Uh, the original and this remake, the the thing and the theme. Right, but it works. seems newer because it's always on TV, and every year Anchor Bay yeah. will put out a new deluxe edition that's front racked in the video store, so it keeps it more yeah. in your face. Whereas, you know, that's like when people say, "What did John Carpenter have to say?" Well, you know, for John Carpenter, it's thirty years ago, and he's made a lot of movies that he loves just as much as Halloween, I'm sure. And he's kind of like, you know, you know, I'm sure it's not front and center on his mind all the time. Right. Now, I, I thought you did a good job of keeping what people liked best about Halloween and Michael Myers and, 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 and adding some new things there. Did you feel any kind of burden or pressure or responsibility when you sat down and, and wrote the screenplay? Well, I did. I mean, in a sense, I mean, you do with any screenplay, but this one essentially I was trying to, you know, being a fan myself, I was trying to constantly think, well, what would I want to see? What would it, what would it be? You know, you want to have enough new material and new content and new twists and turns so that you go, well, it's a completely different movie. But if it's just the same thing again, it's totally pointless. But you don't want to have so much of the, you know, it was, a, it was always, a, it really was like a constant balancing act. Because I didn't get any pressure from the studio. If I had told them, the character of Michael Myers doesn't even appear in this movie, they would have said, oh, fine, great. 
they, they <laughs> just didn't, you know, they kept pressuring me, you know, if anything, to make it different, make it more different. But I thought, you know, the things that I thought for sure was keep the, the, the look of the original mask, even though I wanted to change it and give it a backstory so that it kind of degenerated as he's an adult. Sure. Because I always, you know, I always thought he looked perhaps a tad too clean. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I want to keep that, you know, but, yeah, I kept the, you know, most things intact, like the town of Haddonfield and all the main characters are, you know, the same names and stuff, but I want to give them all a little bit of a twist. But really, the only thing, you know, like the ghost, I always thought that was really cool as a kid. That was always something that stuck out to me when he's... Oh, yeah. So I kept that. And like I said, some of the movies on TV, but not too much else. I wanted it to play differently. You know, at times, I, looking back, I think, oh, I should have changed it even more. But I, but then you change it too much, and people go, well, why the hell did you even call it Halloween? You should have just called it something else. Yeah, exactly. So it's weird. Yeah. you got to change it enough so it's totally different, but not change it so much that then it's not even Halloween anymore. Right. Like de- like uh, Devil's Rejects, uh, Halloween has another great soundtrack of songs to punctuate scenes while still using the, the classic score. What What's the process of choosing your songs for a movie like? Well, I mean, it's funny. It's usually I just choose songs that I really like and that mean something to me because uh-huh. that's really all you can do. Um, you know, you just look at a scene and, and a song. that It'll be a scene that maybe reminds you of something that you remember as a kid. And you go, oh, God, I always remember whenever we went on, you know, on a car trip, that Bachman-Turner overdrive was always on the radio song, you know. And then I go, well, then that's what I'll use. You know, just things that remind me of being that time period in my own life. And, of course, you know, Don't Fear the Reaper, of course, is in the original, but that was always, I was huge into Blue to Cult when I was a kid, and I really wanted to make, but again, I wanted to make that song to sort of be more significant, not just a throwaway. Right. So I tried to play it out with a little more, because I always thought that was like the scariest, most amazing song, and I wanted to just, you know, kind of like Freebird and Rejects, kind of give it a little more screen time. Right, right. Well, if they're speaking of Freebird, that was the next question is because we're doing an article right now on the coolest movie music moments, and I had just an overwhelming amount of suggestions from readers. <laughs> like, oh, you got to do Freebird at the end of Devil's Rejects, and and I mean, it, was that always the plan uh, when, when you were putting that together? Yeah, it was. It was always the plan. It was funny. It just fits so perfect, you know. <laughs> it was early on. I got that idea, and what, so what I had to do was I got the rights to the song way in advance because I was so worried that you'd get to the end of the movie, film it, and then somebody would go like, sorry, we, we can't get the rights to Freebird. And then I'd be like, fuck. The fuck do I replace Freebird with? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's not many... I mean, it's just the great American rock song of all time. And go, what do you replace it with? You know, Stairway to Heaven? I mean, what do you do there? But that wouldn't... Ha- yeah, but the Freebird just felt like those characters. You know, it felt like Leonard Skinner. It felt like every, the 70s. And, um... I mean, those characters did... Obviously, Freebird did. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, it just was one of those things. And what I loved about it, too, was I thought... But it was always scary because it's such a great song, but it's such an overused song that I was like, is it possible to take a song that is, you know, almost so popular that it's like a cliche, that people yell at at concerts, at other people's concerts? And um, I think it totally worked. I thought maybe when it started, people might laugh, but people totally went with it. Well, I think you kind of get a little both of that. I mean, there's a little bit of a giggle when you first hear the opening strain, but then you're like, oh, yeah, and just everybody was just totally digging it. I mean, I, when, it, when that came out, I saw it in the theater, and uh, uh, some buddies went to go check it out at a, one of the few drive-thrus left, uh, drive-ins left yeah. here. And uh, but it was just, that was just a, a kick uh, to, to watch that at the end of the There's movie. kind of a moment like that a little bit in Halloween with uh, Nazareth Love Hurts. 
I was just going to bring that it up. The same thing, like when it starts, <laughs> is always, it's funny, every time, and I, and I knew this was going to happen, so it's not a surprise, when I was putting it together, because I had the same reaction. When it first starts, people kind of laugh, but, yeah. but then they don't, because it kind of, it just, it's just got that, it's sometimes those songs are just funny, they're so familiar that people laugh at first, and then by the time they show the mom stripping, and it goes to Judith in bed, and this, it's like all the humor goes away. Yeah, th- this is it, folks. Yeah, but yeah. at first it seems yeah. kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just, you just uh, can't help but think, boy, if you would have just took him trick or treating, maybe and everything yeah. would have happened. <laughs> it would have been okay. Boy, did he want to go <laughs> trick or treating. <laughs> so, you got any uh, cool extras in mind for the DVD yet, or is it too early to think about? Um, well, actually, we started working on it because you know, obviously, it's like the next question. The way that I mean, I, I would like. We have tons of deleted scenes. Tons. Because I over, I mean, I really shot two movies. I could have released this as two films, probably. Um, there's tons of deleted scenes, like Adrian Barbeau's scene. Oh, wow. You know, got cut out of the movie. And uh, there was tons of stuff in the sanitarium. And even there's just the stuff, the interview segments with Michael and Loomis. I filmed those forever. Because they weren't really scripted. We would sort of set up scenarios. And we would film and yeah, film and film just so that it would feel real. Because half the time, Malcolm never knew what the little kid was going to say. And that's why his reactions uh-huh. sometimes are like so off. Because <laughs> I just wanted it to be real. Because it's, you know, it's yeah, kind of hard to. I didn't want to script an interview. I wanted to be more impromptu. So we have tons of that. There's tons of everything. And actually, same as Devil's Rejects, we made a, a really intensive making of documentary the whole time we we're shooting. Mm-hmm. So that that'll be on the DVD. That's good. Are they going to rush that out to have it out in time by Halloween? Or they I don't think so. No, I don't think that'll be out. possible. <laughs> So, uh, hey, um, lastly, just a couple little rumor clear-ups, and and I, you got to take Wikipedia with a grain of salt these Definitely days. Do. But uh, they they've got Bonnie and Clyde attached to you there. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. Future project. That, that's a hundred percent false. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That that must have popped up about a week ago because everyone's been asking about me about it ever since. Yeah, but now we got. But Super Bisto is definitely what's next down. Yeah, the that's line, definitely right? in, in that. That is almost 100% finished. There's a little bit of sound effects and music, and it's one opening scene that isn't animated yet, but that's pretty much done and in the can. So that'll be next. And, we, and you're going to be uh, getting back to some music soon? Yeah, I'm going to. Well, I have a live record I did last summer that'll be coming out October 23rd. Then I'm going to hit the road and tour through Christmas. And while I'm on the road and I'm out there, I'm you know, going to figure out what the next movie will be, and hopefully when I come home, I'll have some sense of what's next. Film-wise. Great. Well, best of luck to you in that, and thanks so much for your time. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure Halloween's gonna be a big hit this week. Well, we'll see. I'm excited to talk. You never know, but uh, yeah, I'm very excited. People, see, you know, the, there was, you know, there's so much anticipation. Even though I think sometimes because of the internet, it gets really overblown. Um, but um, yeah. you know, people, the people that I've talked to, that have seen it, seem to really love it. So yeah, I should get a good word of mouth yeah, so for sure. Going so. good. Great. Well, thanks again, Rob. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, have a good day. Take care. Bye.
Thanks again to Rob Zombie for that hella swell interview. Um, you just heard a, a bit from the classic White Zombie song, More Human Than Human, followed by uh, from the Hellbilly Deluxe album, uh, a little bit from Dragula, from Rob Zombie's uh, solo work there. So um, if you heard at the end of the interview, he is planning on touring uh, pretty soon through the end of the year. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, he always puts on a great show. And I'll be sure to check it out myself. So, uh, got, uh, got a lot of good stuff lined up for the next podcast episode. It's going to be a tribute to, uh, Revenge of the Nerds. And we will be, uh, bringing back Retro Crush listener voicemail kind of on a hiatus for a bit. And if you'd like to, you can call the Retro Crush hotline anytime, night or day at 916-231-9480. Leave a comment, request, sing a song, whatever. You can call, uh, that's, uh, it won't actually ring my phone. Um, it goes to a, a computer voicemail, so you don't have to worry about waking me up if you're just like feeling crazy at three in the morning. That's the time that you want to call. So look forward to hear from you then. By the way, I would like to thank our our new sponsor, um, Mr. Bucket. It's it's a really good uh, game, you know, for for uh, f- the best game I think that you could ever play, um, where balls pop out of uh, somebody's mouth, and you know. Thanks to Mr. Bucket for making this all possible. Mr. Bucket! That's right! I'm Mr. Bucket! I'm Mr. Bucket! Caution your balls in my top, I'm Mr. Bucket! Out of my mouth, I will pop, I'm Mr. Bucket! We're all gonna run, I'm Mr. Bucket! The game's Mr. Bucket! The first to get their balls in, and Mr. Bucket wins, but look out! Cause the balls will pop out of his mouth! I'm Mr. Bucket! The balls pop out of my mouth, I'm Mr. Bucket! A ball is what I'm about, I'm Mr. Bucket! We're all gonna run, I'm Mr. Bucket! Mr. Bucket from Milton Bradley. By the way, at the beginning of the podcast, you heard uh, a medley of songs. Those are all from the Halloween soundtrack. And it's not just uh, the John Carpenter score. Uh, if you buy this album, it's a really cool collection of just good hardcore 70s rock. I mean, you get like, uh, oh, God of Thunder from Kiss. You've got Let It Ride by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Love Hurts from Nazareth. Um, Tom Sawyer by Rush, of course, Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, just uh, a lot of good fun stuff on there, so uh, if you're a fan of the, and there's lots of bits of uh, film dialogue in between each track, so if you get it on uh, iTunes, you can get the whole thing for eleven ninety nine, and uh, that's 24 different tracks on there, 12 of them uh, are a dialogue that are fun in between each song, so if you're a fan of those kind of cool soundtracks where there's film dialogue mixed in between the songs, I think you will be pleasantly surprised. I've also uh, highly recommend uh, the new album Rilo Kelly under the Black Light. Um, not a very uh, long album, unfortunately. It's 11 tracks, but boy, it seems like it's over in about 38 minutes there. But if uh, you've been jonesing for some new Jenny Lewis music, I know uh, if you've been following our podcast for a while, you know we're a big fan of her Rabbit Fur Coat album she did with the Watson twins there. But um, I would like to leave you today. Uh, so anyway, the medley of the songs at the beginning, all from that Halloween soundtrack there, totally worth checking out. And um, we also, uh, before I had this episode planned, I had a medley, I was going to do a, a tribute to summer songs. And um, I have a, a little medley I put together of some of the better songs that capture the mood of summer as summer's coming to an end here. So here you go.
little light is shining through the window. Let me know everything's alright. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Blowing through the jasmine in my mind. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Blowing through the jasmine in my mind. Summer, definitely uh, one of their best songs there. You also got Summer Breeze by Seals and Croft. You've got the B-52's Summer of Love, The Alarms, Rain in the Summertime. Um, whatever happened to those guys? I should look that up and find out. They were sure pretty cool. They kind of got treated as sort of like a knockoff U2. Uh, didn't really seem to get much credit there for, for just being a good band there. But uh, that's that's my opinion, at least. Uh, and you got uh, Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Louis Armstrong's Summertime and closed it out with Burl Ives there. So uh, thanks again for tuning in to the Retro Crush podcast. We'll be back in about a week with a tribute to Return of the Jedi. No, we won't. It's Revenge of the Nerds. Sorry, my brain is fried. I actually I fell asleep uh, and <laughs> put it on pause that while I was recording this. Uh, so uh, part one of this was recorded uh, on... a. Uh, Sunday night, and the rest is here on Labor Day. But uh, I'm trying to make the best of it here. But as always, you can call the Retro Crush hotline anytime, 916-231-9480. Visit our site, retrocrush.com. And uh, we have a MySpace page, too, at myspace.com slash retrocrush. 
So I'm going to leave you here today with uh, the most immortal Halloween song of them all. Um, be well, and we'll see you in about a week. Thanks so much for listening, and make sure you tell a friend about our podcast if you like it. Mr. Bring me a dream Make him the cutest that I've ever seen Give him two lips like roses and clover Then tell him that his lonesome nights are